0: Coming up on Stu Does America, we've got a special extended interview with an amazing guest tonight, sports writer, TV personality, podcaster. The guy does it all. Let's get right into it and do Jason Whitlock.
1: Stu Does America.
0: We're talking to Jason Whitlock here in just a minute, but first I want to pick up on something that we started earlier this week, and it goes to the idea that just because you tweet something doesn't make it true, make it true. Is that something that we all understand? Just because you tweet something, doesn't make it true. Someone tweeted something uh, on, the, uh, on Twitter and it was about hospitals and COVID-19. And the concept was basically, this woman was, a, uh, was working in a hospital and she is constantly dealing with patients in, in North Dakota who were, with their last dying breath, from COVID-19 were saying covid 19s fake. It's a fraud. It was a compelling thing that happened. It was all over Twitter, passed around. And of course, CNN, not heeding my advice here, if you tweet something, doesn't make it true. They just booked this person and put them on the air. Here's a clip from the segment. You said that even now, that the hospital is being overrun with COVID patients, they come in, they're horribly ill, they're gasping for breath, and yet they don't believe they have COVID?
1: Yeah, I think the hardest thing to watch is that people are still looking for something else and they want a magic answer and they don't wanna believe that COVID is real. And the reason I tweeted what I did is it wasn't one particular patient, it's just a culmination of so many people and their last dying words are, um, this can't be happening, it's not real. And when they should be spending time FaceTiming their families, they're filled with anger and hatred, and it just made me really sad the other night. And um, I just can't believe that those are going to be their last thoughts and words.
0: Mm. Uh, Wired magazine actually looked into this and said it did the job that you think CNN would have done before booking the interview. Uh, they write, Alison Camerata, who the CNN anchor who conducted the interview, is an Emmy Award-winning journalist, Tracy Connor, who had covered the story for The Daily Beast, is that publication's executive editor. They and others simply repeated Doring's antidotes—that's the, uh, the, the nurse— Framed as astounding embodiment of red state denialism. The Washington Post article quotes at length from Doring's tweets and TV interview and claims without providing any further evidence that COVID patients seen by other healthcare workers are reluctant to acknowledge that they have been infected with a virus that President Trump has said will simply disappear. Perhaps it's worth considering that Huron Regional Medical Center has seen a total of six COVID nineteen deaths to date. Beetle County, where Huron is located, Uh, is uh, has registered a total of 22 such deaths, 13 of which occurred since August 1st. And in Sanborn County, where Doring lives, there has been one COVID-19 death. Now, is it possible that that one person is one of the people that said this is a fraud Ah," right before they're dying? It's possible. And and this isn't a story about whether the, the nurse is telling the truth. I think it's very possible she's saying, look, A lot of people don't believe this is a real thing and they come in here and, you know, reality kind of hits them in the face. Very possible that 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 reality is playing out uh, across the country in certain areas. But the fact is, this isn't a story about what, what the nurse is saying, whether what she's saying is true or or maybe just not phrased perfectly. Where is the media skepticism on the stuff like this? Why isn't the media pushing back and saying, hey, you know what? Like. Maybe we should check. I mean, if one person in her county has died from covid, the idea that multiple people she's seen uh, give as their dying words uh, a a denial of covid uh, is really a little too convenient, isn't it? I know if we had someone like that who came on and, you know, fed us our worldview like a guest like that. The first thing I jump to is skepticism because it's it's, this sounds too good to be true for our little storyline. The, pop, the bottom line is you gotta check this stuff and you gotta look into it. You gotta do a little bit of additional reporting. You don't just take it from Twitter. Just because you tweet something doesn't mean it's true. All right, Jason Whitlock coming up in just a second. I want to tell you about Fast Blast and how they can help you uh, make your diet goals this year. If you are the type of person who maybe put on a little bit of weight during the COVID-19 uh, era uh, and you're hoping maybe as we're coming out of it, we're going to be able to you know, take that weight off. Fast Blast is a great way to do it. Fast Blast has launched a new app called Fasten, F-A-S-T-E-N. The app is free helps you track your uh, weight loss, uh, your hydration, your mood. It helps you kind of gamify weight loss. It's a great way to actually do intermittent fasting if you've never done it before. Uh, do your own homework, of course. Make sure you look into Fast Blast. Uh, make sure it's right for you. Uh, the Fasten app, F-A-S-T-E-N, you can grab ready right at your app store right now. Just go to the app store, type in F-A-S-T-E-N. You'll pop up. the little green logo. You'll see it. Uh, or you can go to fastblast.com slash blaze. Get the free app and get started today. The holidays are coming up, guys. There's going to be lots of really good food. We better uh, make sure we manage this thing before it gets out of control. Uh, we don't want our weight to go skyrocketing, just ridiculous levels like it's some crazy disease chart on CNN. Fastblast.com Blaze is the place to go for the Fasten app. Very excited to welcome our next guest to the program sports writer, TV personality, radio host, podcaster. Guys, done it all. Joining me now, the host of Fearless with Jason Whitlock. It is Jason Whitlock. Jason, thanks for coming on the program. Appreciate you having me, Stu. Good to be here. Yeah. Uh, let, me, let me start with this. You well, have been at the top of your industry for a really long time. I mean, you've been everywhere.
1: Since about 1972. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I've been at the top of the industry. I was born in 67. I got my first column gig in 68.
0: Wow. Uh, that's a- Really ahead of the curve. <laughs> You're an early adopter. Yeah, I can so, see. Yeah, I can yeah. see. Well, It's interesting, though, you've been on all these big networks, you've been everywhere. Why did you choose Outkick to go to? You could have gone anywhere.
1: Uh, because I wanted independence and I wanted my own platform and I wanted the ability to say whatever it is I wanted to say without interference, without executives hiding under a desk, without sponsors or advertisers, go, oh my God, you can't say that. You can't tell the truth. And so uh, I I just, you know, the opportunity to work with Clay appealed to me. Uh, Look, we're in a unique time in American history. And I think that a black guy and a white guy partnering on, Uh, any type of endeavor, but particularly a media endeavor, I thought was very important uh, because the messaging from the mainstream media is that, you know, we all hate each other and there's all this racial division. Uh, And so I I wanted to be a symbol of, of, you know, the way I grew up because there was so much hope and so much optimism Mm. growing up. You know, I was born in 1967 and Dr. King was assassinated in 1968, but my parents and family, the optimism of the civil rights movement, I I was born into that. And uh, my life has really been, uh, has benefited from the sacrifices people made in the 1950s and 60s. And, you know, I hate to sound like uh, Trump, but I will, so it's like, Part of what I was doing was I want to make America great again. I want people to feel the way I felt when I was growing up, like anything was possible. We all can get along. We all can work together because uh, I still believe all those things. And so that's what I was trying to accomplish or what I'm trying to accomplish at OutKate.
0: And you were able to talk to uh, the president. Yeah, uh, had an
1: opportunity to interview President Trump probably about three weeks ago, hmm.
0: you know, two weeks
1: before the election or so. And, or or however long ago that was, but uh, it it was great. Uh, Look, I'm someone that I've never voted. I've never really been, I'm not a political partisan. And part of my respect for President Trump is he's not a politician. And, you know, that's why a lot of people hate him because they want Mm -hmm. him to act like a politician. I actually hate politicians and their inauthenticity. (laughs) And so I like the fact that he's not a politician and he doesn't behave like one. And then more substantively, his America First platform is just something that speaks to my heart in terms of, I heard his inauguration speech and it was the first time I really dug into the substance of what he was saying mm-hmm. when we're hearing his inaugural, and it just spoke to me. My, my mom was a 30-year factory worker. Her mom was a 30-year factory worker. My dad started out a factory worker, then built a bar, a bar business that catered to factory workers. And I understand and was a part of the manufacturing industry being strong here in America, union work and, and wh- high paying factory working jobs allowed me to blossom here in America. Mm -hmm. And so to hear a president talk about uh, trying to bring manufacturing jobs back to America and, and not ship them all overseas to China or whatever is exciting to me. And I feel like it's something that would benefit a lot of Americans, but in particular, black Americans that grew up like I did. Uh, off the back of factory working parents, I was able to move into the upper middle class or the one, you know, I, I've elevated pretty high uh, thanks to the sacrifices my parents made and just good factory jobs. And so uh, it was great to connect with uh, President Trump and be able to have a conversation and probe, you know, the the, the I may be answering longer than, than what you want, but uh-huh. I, I, I'm sitting <laughs> in the Rose Garden right outside his office. It's gotta be weird, right? It's not weird, it's 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 gratifying, it's satisfying, it's fulfilling because the entire time I'm, I'm sitting there, cause I had to wait like 20 minutes. He's in his office, I can look to my left, see him on the phone talking, and I'm waiting on the President of the United States to come out and engage with me. I'm sitting in the Rose Garden right outside the office and I'm like, hey man, 30 years ago, or in 1984, however long that was, 36 years ago, me and my dad lived in a 400 square foot, one bedroom apartment in the hood Mm. in 1984. I wasn't the smartest kid in my high school. I was a pretty good athlete. Uh, And the only people really looking for me in 1984 were football coaches. And now here I am 36 years later, I'm actually talking to the president of the United States about my dad and my mom and their path and their journey and my journey. And it just it's one of those moments you go, wow, anything can happen in America. Yeah. And I want other people to know that experience and know that possibility. And I mean, we all should know that Barack Obama became president and. it's uh, forgotten it's it, it it like anything's possible here in america if you don't give up if you put hard work in so all those things were running through my mind and uh it was, it was great to have that conversation with president trump
0: we were talking to you on radio and, and you mentioned you're not a political guy right yeah. Um, but you still described yourself as a conservative. And I thought your reasoning was interesting, which is you said it was because of my upbringing in the church and my upbringing as an athlete. Yes. Why those two things?
1: Uh, because the values taught in the church. I think most people would describe as conservative. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I'm never going to divorce myself from those values. They can demonize the word conservative all they want. I'm just a Christian. And then when you add in, I'm a former athlete and particularly a football athlete, the values taught in football and sports are very conservative. A coach will come into a locker room and say, I don't wanna hear about any excuses. I don't wanna hear about people outside this locker room. It's those of us right here in this locker room, every man needs to look in the mirror and start with fixing those problems and this team will get better. Coaches have been telling me that my entire life and coaches have been telling me about the value of hard work and the value of sacrifice and the value of, of embracing your teammates, regardless of what background they come from. Uh, and so those are values that I believe in. When you combine my athletic upbringing and my Christian upbringing in in this society where we label everybody, I have no, I'm a, I'm a conservative. Uh that's I'm not a political conservative though. I'm mm-hmm. a Christian conservative and I'm a sports conservative. Uh we've somehow demonized that and you know anybody black that's a conservative is also a sellout. Uh <laughs> and I get you know If I got to sell out for Jesus and football, I'm going to sell out. Those are two good things. Uh, Yeah, Yeah. I'm going to sell out. Anybody white that's a conservative, you know know what you guys are. You guys are the worst people on the
0: earth. I know. That's what I always say about myself. (laughs) (laughs) It's interesting. Let's talk about the foundations of this, though, because what you mentioned there about how all uh, black conservatives are sellouts is a real thing. I mean, this is what people say all the time. And you've talked a little bit about, I mean, going back to the Moynihan report, which is, I thought, I, I, an interesting thing that people don't talk about anymore. This is, you know, uh, this goes back several decades, talking about what could be in the future for African-American families if they don't embrace the Christian values you're talking about, really. I mean, it wasn't necessarily in those exact terms, but it certainly fulfilled a lot of those standards. Can you talk about that and why Why you think that, that's interesting?
1: Well, uh, Patrick Moynihan was... A liberal Democrat in the 1960s that was working for LBJ and uh, did a report that was supposed to be an internal report uh, about the black family and what he saw as terrible warning signs that, like, the black family is going in a terrible direction in a society that caters to the nuclear family. And at that time, I think 20, 25 percent of black kids were growing up outside of a nuclear family. And he was like alarmed by this at 20, 25 percent. He was like, if we don't stop this, if we don't invest in the black family uh, and, and try to correct this. A generation from now, there's going to be a huge price to be paid because Western civilization is built on the premise of nuclear families. America's set up. Nuclear families, and so here we are, fifty-five years later, and I think seventy-five percent of Black kids grow up outside of a nuclear family, mm. and we see the ramifications of that, and they're not good. And so uh, Patrick Moynihan was trying to push Lyndon Johnson in a positive direction. It, it was the the Moynihan report. I think it was the the case of the Negro family and or I, I can't think of the the exact title but they call it the Morningham report was trying to warn the country and Lyndon Johnson like man these great society measures that's really not going to be beneficial to the black community and uh, I think what happened is that the report leaked. It was supposed to be an internal report. They leaked some of it out, I think, intentionally. The media picked up on bits and pieces of it, and the next thing you know, Patrick Moynihan was the most racist person in the world, and the Moynihan report was this terrible indictment of black people, and we're all offended, and our feelings are hurt, and so F the Moynihan report. And the guy was actually trying to give America and black people great advice, stick to the nuclear family values, stick to Christian values. We need to invest in those values right now immediately uh, and, and black people in America will benefit. We didn't do any of those things. And we actually ended up going the opposite direction. They demonized that guy. LBJ washed his hands of him. And the next thing you know, uh, liberalism became the cure for everything. Mm. And uh, all of the, all of the, see, everything you're hearing now from Black Lives Matter about uh, we need to disrupt the nuclear family. Yeah, yeah. That disruption started in the late 1960s. And, It's now just taken root and blown into this full-blown thing where people actually think it's sanity. That, hey, you know what? Blow up the family. That'll be good. (laughs) That's a good thing. (laughs) You don't need mom and dad. No, You don't need any of that. Uh, You don't need God. And again, it's like if you really understand the narrative, the journey of African-Americans for 400 years in America, it's all been faith-based. It's all been... Our survival has, you could write a new Bible just about our journey here in America. And, and it seems like Patrick Moynihan said in his Moynihan report, like, wow, 350 years of oppression. Most other races would have died out. Mm. Less Other races have died out facing this kind of oppression. It's a miracle that these guys are here and intact and we need to help them. Uh, but we've now created a society where being a Christian is one of the worst things you can be and no one uh, everybody wears their political label on their sleeve and everyone hides their Christian values or religious values and don't talk about them uh, but if you if you're a liberal put that liberal label on and you're 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 Jesus Christ almost yeah. or maybe even better than
0: Jesus Christ <laughs> No, it's true. I mean, like you look at this, you you see uh, LeBron James, Colin Kaepernick. I mean, Colin Kaepernick was a mediocre to bad NFL quarterback that has become this superhero because he's willing to come out and say terrible. I mean, asking for. The release of people who've killed police officers and he gets constant praise for this. Uh, you know, LeBron James is doing many of the, many similar things. I know you talked about Dave Chappelle on uh, uh, on Saturday Night Live. Live appearance. And, you know, I think Dave Chappelle's brilliant, a really smart guy and a fantastic comedian. But he's down this road where it's not—it's not challenging anymore. He's not—he's not pushing back against the narratives. He's not noticing things about about the world that should shock or surprise or challenge us. It's this sort of same twenty talking points that, that get shoved down everybody's throat. And unless you agree with them, you are a racist or worse. Well, for for Dave Chappelle and I
1: wrote about it, and you know, comedians—the great comedians were always super smart and super courageous. Mm. And they spotted the irony and they spotted the hypocrisy and they pointed it out, they said things that no one else had the freedom to say. And Dave Chappelle has pivoted from that. He's tried to fight it as best he could, but clearly in order to get on the Saturday Night Live stage, in order to remain in the good graces of the people that control Hollywood and control movie deals and Netflix deals and TV deals, there's a narrative you have to stick to. There's a point of view that you have to promote. And for Dave Chappelle and other black entertainers, they have to live up to a standard of blackness that the white liberals controlling Hollywood, the music industry and the movie industry that they set forth. And so when I saw Dave Chappelle on Saturday Night Live, I was like, man, he's just, He's saying what they told him he had to say to remain in their good graces and to collect those big checks. None of it's consistent with how he lives his own life. None of it, if you go back to, he started his monologue talking about his great-grandfather who was born into slavery, mm-hmm. was emancipated, I think at 10 years old or something, and eventually went on to lead a delegation of black people who met with Woodrow Wilson, the president. And he said his grandfather had three things he was known for: uh, pursuing freedom for black people, Jesus Christ, and education. Those were the three tenets. My great great granddaddy said: wow. education, freedom, and uh, what?
0: Jesus, freedom, and, and Jesus yeah, Christ. Yeah. yeah, I mean that's a good resume so, right yeah, there. If you're going to know for those three things. And
1: so it's like, but now as black people. None of those things are on the table for us as black. You must pursue showing everybody how black you are every Mm. day. No other race has to do this. I I point to Asian people. I was like, do you think Asian parents are sitting around with their kids? Go out and show everybody how yellow your skin is (laughs) or how yellow you are. They actually consider yellow an insult. Right, yeah. It's an insult. It's a slur. Mm -hmm. And so... They send their kids out into the world, you go out and show everybody how smart you are. You go out and show everybody how hardworking you are. Uh, everybody else is free to show everybody how patriotic they are, how Christian they are, how committed to their family they are, how committed to honesty, all these things. And, 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 and so Dave Chappelle's great grandfather, to me, like, as soon as he got free, he was like, I'm just gonna be an American. And so what did Americans wanna do back then? They wanted freedom, they wanted Jesus Christ, and they wanted to be educated. I'm gonna do that. Why can't we do that? Why can't we go out and pursue those things? Those are American things to pursue. They're positive things. We have, there's an Olympic contest going on every day to prove how black you are. And I'm just sorry, my skin color is not a defining characteristic. I don't want people and again, I love my skin color. I think it's great packaging. I think I look <laughs> damn good. Particularly, you know, to, you know, what do I weigh about 210, 215? Yeah, yeah. I think I look damn good yeah. for being, you know, 5 to 6 pounds overweight. <laughs> but I want to be known for being intelligent. I want to be known for being Christian. I want to be known for being honest. I want to be known for loving my country. I really do. Because all these people doing the complaining None of them are buying plane tickets going anywhere. Mm. That you couldn't get them out of here with a stick of dynamite. And so they're all lying and frauds. And it, 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 and Chappelle's whole monologue was a lie and a fraud. The guy's married to an Asian woman. This whole he, ain't, he lives out in a rural white community. Yeah. D- d- he ain't Malcolm X <laughs> he ain't married to Betty Shabazz
0: <laughs> and he damn sure don't live in Harlem <laughs> All right, more with the great Jason Whitlock Outkick and Fearless back in just a second we're back with more with uh, Jason Whitlock uh, host of Fearless with Jason Whitlock and Outkick the coverage as well uh, Jason you know the the BLM thing has been going on here for a while and I you know I've seen fist. <laughs> fist in the air. Fist in the air. Let's do it. Um, it's interesting to see how this all all, all happens. And I and I, I I, like uh, my wife who has lost friends over people who when she doesn't support blm to whatever appropriate level needs to Your needs wife to be supported
1: support BLM?
0: Uh, apparently not uh, do you want to do you want to do you want to trash her on social media too uh, <laughs> it's sad isn't it she's clearly racist clearly racist <laughs> she's lost friends and and you know what it's, it's all white friends it's it's all her her, her black friends never have a problem with this it's her white friends her white liberal friends who come to her and they get all pissed off at her because she doesn't embrace ibram Kendi's book and i know it's it's shocking and i think like the fundamental part of this is this is signaling right it's 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 white people virtue signaling and trying to tell everyone how great they are so that they can feel good about themselves is there actual caring for the black community involved in this at all?
1: No, liberalism, as I said, I think on Glenn show uh, Wednesday is the new KKK hood. You just put the liberal hood on and no one knows you're a bigot. And you get to walk around and be as bigoted as you wanna be, but no one can identify you because you got that liberal hood on. And so to some degree, I don't blame people because being pegged as a racist eliminate you from the workforce. Mm -hmm. Uh, You can lose your job and ability to take care of your family and kids and provide for yourself. And so people uh, want to put that liberal hood on because that's like an insurance policy. I'm I'm all good, you can't accuse me of being racist. I can do all kinds of racist stuff, but you can't accuse me of it. I could write the crime bill and everybody black can say the crime bill is one of the most racist pieces of legislation ever, but because I'm a liberal, It doesn't count. It doesn't matter. I'm president (laughs) and I get to tell you whether you're black or not because (laughs) I wrote the crime bill and, you know, I'm liberal and I, but anyway, Mm -hmm. it's, it's when you really understand what politics has done to the word liberal and what the democratic party has done to the word liberal, it's, it's their only selling point is we get to be the state farm insurance of racism and we have a policy for you here, Mm -hmm. If you just sign right here on the dotted line and Mm -hmm. vote the way we tell you to vote, this is an insurance policy, you can never be called racist. That's the number one calling card of the Democratic Party. That's how they garner support. And there are white people that are willing to sign up and look, 90% of black people, in order, because they got out a policy for black people. You don't wanna be called an Uncle Tom or a sellout? Sign this political form, identify as a Democrat and a liberal, pull that lever for, all liberals are Democrats. No one can ever call you an Uncle Tom or sellout. Now, you can do all kinds of Uncle Tom and sellout stuff, but no one can ever. Because, <laughs> what do you mean I voted for Barack Obama? Mm. I can't sell yep. out. I yep. voted for Barack. <laughs> I voted for Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. <laughs> I can't sell out. I. I, I and so it's it's one stop shopping. You're good. It's an insurance. problem. it's like any time I step into my car, I got uh, AAA A insurance. I don't have to worry. I can run over and hit anything. Well, my insurance will cover it. <laughs> and so as a liberal, as a liberal white person, I can go out and do all kinds of racist stuff. I can paint myself in blackface and get discovered like the guy in Virginia. Uh, yeah, I can blackface, I can do it all. I can go burn crosses, but I'm a liberal. So it doesn't matter, as a black person, you can sell out every way possible. You can give black people the worst advice in the world. If you're a liberal, you can make rap albums, denigrating every form of blackness possible. You you can talk about killing N-words. You can celebrate drug dealing and crack dealing. You can celebrate raping women. You can celebrate calling bees and hoes and all of that. Mm. But I'm a liberal. None of that stuff is racist. None of that stuff is selling out black people. I can make all this music and make a bunch of money from being a buffoon and, and denigrating black people, but you can't call it selling out because, boom, I got this card that says I'm a liberal. It, it's, it's the greatest insurance policy that's ever been invented. It's driving. There's no other. The, the Democrats, to me, don't seem to have any policies right now to offer. And so they go out and sell racism and sellout insurance uh, called liberalism. And it is selling like hotcakes mm. to dead people. Uh, To people that live in other states, you you can get the coverage in several different states. (laughs) Yeah, go vote.
0: (laughs) It's it's a hell of a business. It really is. Um, You know, it strikes me that the fact that we all agree that being called a racist is a really terrible thing is a positive thing about the country, right? Like we've all kind of thought, like, hey, racism is really bad, and it's the ultimate insult. And I feel like the left has done this thing where they reverse engineered this process, right? They figured out what's the bad thing to call people, which is racist. And then they apply it to all sorts of new things. The word gets redefined. When I grew up, what I learned was judge people by the content of the character, not the color of their skin. And it's what I've tried to teach my kids. And I thought that's what racism was. If you don't do that, you, you go down those roads. What's happening now with with white fragility and, you know, Ibram Kendi and all of these new concepts of what racism is. We are all involved in this system and this system benefits white people. Therefore, all white people are racist unless you vote for liberals. It seems to always come down to that same thing. I mean, that that's got to be disturbing for, for, for someone like you who's fought through all this and said, you know, it came up from living in a 200-square-foot apartment. 400. Sorry, 400 400 square, I don't want to short you. All the way to, you know, what you're doing now, which is leading a major media company. It's,
1: look, what they've done is the same thing that was done to us 400 years ago. Enslavers said, you know what? This special category of people, black people, their skin color is their defining characteristic, and that characteristic limits their freedom. And so 400 years later, liberals have said there's a defining characteristic, your skin color. We're going to put, capitalize it and make it a capital B unlike anything else. A special category for black people. That's your defining characteristic that defines you and tells you every, everything we need to know about you. You're different than everybody else. And therefore your freedoms are limited if Somehow you think that, you know, I think I got Christianity. I think I got some conservative views. Penal. The penalty is you're cast out of the black race. Ben Carson. Mm. No, you're a great neurosurgeon. No, you're from Detroit. I know you married a black woman from Detroit and this fame fortune. You still with her. But you ain't black, Ben, because you're conservative. You know who's black? George Floyd. You can't get any blacker than george floyd he you know he's a victim and so being a victim takes your blackness from coffee black to coffee with grape kool-aid black (laughs) now you're the you're the blackest you can ever be if if you're a victim and particularly if you're a victim of a white man you couldn't be any blacker than that george floyd is one thousand times blacker than Ben Carson. George Floyd, again, I think what happened to him was an absolute tragedy. Yeah, I believe it was a tragedy. But George Floyd put a gun to a black woman's belly and robbed her. How is he blacker than Ben Carson? Has, 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 ben, has ben Carson stuck a gun in anybody's belly? I, I, it, it, I gotta, the, the mind game and the cleverness of the left and the way they've used race to fool this entire country and particularly fool black people that like the people that think the least of you, the people that 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 think you couldn't make it without them. Somehow they're your friends. Somehow they're the greatest thing in the world. And I, you know, I wrote this a couple of weeks ago about affinity and how we somehow think affinity is better than respect. And we somehow, we we can't figure out that affinity and affection, they actually, that pleases the giver as much, if not more than the receiver. Affection is a two way street that people get pleasure from. And so, but respect that glorifies the receiver, Uh, more than it does the giver. And so, respect is actually more important. Affinity is something like, again, as it relates to the white-black dynamic and the liberal dynamic, that affinity they're giving you is about their own pleasure. And it it may be physical pleasure or it just may be a mental pleasure of, look what a great person I am. I like a black
0: person. Right, right.
1: And that makes me feel good. Whereas respect, again, that's all really about the receiver. He gets the joy or she Mm. gets the joy out of that. And so I just don't put a lot of stake or value in like, oh, someone pretends like they like me or maybe they do like me. But do they respect me? Right. That's what I really want to know. They respect me. Then I was like, okay, let's let's share some affinity. But. I'm different.
0: <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Uh, let me got One more minute left. Yep. Let, me, let me give you one more.
1: Uh-oh. Uh, can I squeeze it in in a minute? I think you I'm can. I'm long-winded.
0: I, no, it's all right. You're doing great. Yeah. Um, I think a, a big part of this whole thing comes down to the idea of the left seeing individuals as members of a group. They're collectivists. They see an individual person and they see you. You are a black person. You are a liberal. You are a gay. You are whatever you are. And on the other side, conservatives see individuals as individuals and we are no one's perfect on this on this of course but that is I think fundamentally the right thing to strive for if we could cure that wouldn't that be the Martin Luther King vision uh, of the way this is supposed to come out rather than what we have now
1: certainly would be and look I've tried to explain to people that uh, most people it doesn't matter black white rich poor whatever They're looking for people they have shared values with. Once someone says, oh man, that person shares my values. They really, the race thing just becomes irrelevant to them. It's like, oh, you, 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 you believe in hard work the way that I do. You believe in commitment to family the way that I do. You you cut your yard the same way I cut my yard. You, You, we like the same kind of music, you know, we try to show respect to each other in the same kind of way. I, I've seen people that my dad was a bigoted person. He he lived through some really terrible mm-hmm. things. And, but what I, anytime he ran into somebody who shared his values and showed respect the same way he did, the race thing just went out the window. And, and so people act like, Oh my God! If this person has a bigoted point of view, that tells you everything they need. You need to know about them, or it it tells you everything about every action they take. I'm just. My dad was bigoted. He went through some stuff that put some hard in his heart. Mm-hmm. I never saw him disrespect anybody. He wanted to be a good person far more than he wanted to be a bigot. And (laughs) it just, (laughs) that's human beings. People think dumb things. A lot of people have the discipline not to do dumb things.
0: Mm. That's great. Jason Whitlock, host of Fearless with Jason Whitlock, uh, also part of OutKick. Uh, You can get all of his uh, columns uh they're always uh interesting to read always a must read from jason whitlock thanks so much for coming on the program i appreciate it black power baby (laughs) all right (laughs) on that note back in a second (laughs) excited to congratulate uh, andrew cuomo um governor cuomo will receive an international emmy award in recognition of his leadership during the COVID-19 pandemic and his masterful use of television to inform and calm people around the world. We have a quote from the International Academy president, Bruce Peisner. He says, The governor's 111 daily briefings work so well because he effectively created television shows with characters, plot lines, and stories of success and failure. I would also add uh, he uh, he was able to add fiction to them, uh, which is... Not what he was supposed to be doing. Uh, People around the world tuned in to find out what was going on in New York. Tough became a symbol of the determination to fight back. The Founders Award is presented to an individual, an organization who crosses cultural boundaries to touch our very common humanity. Isn't that wonderful? I'm really glad for uh, Cuomo uh, because I'm glad he's being recognized uh, for being a television host. That's what he wants to be. He's jealous of his brother, apparently, for being on television all the time. And Cuomo does much more TV stuff than he does governor stuff. The governor stuff he does is terrible. Another word for it would be awful. Andrew Cuomo is awful And I will also say, you know, look, we've sold a lot of Andrew Cuomo's awful bugs. Uh, T-shirts, neck gaiters. I mean, if you got to have a mask, why not have it say Andrew Cuomo is Awful? You can get that at AndrewCuomoIsAwful.com. But what I would say is I am very disappointed in myself for not thinking of this idea. And whoever did it is completely brilliant. They are now selling uh, new stickers you put on your window. Do we have a picture of it? Yeah, here we go. With Andrew Cuomo's little face peering in. As if he's watching you have Thanksgiving dinner, because you're not supposed to be doing that. You bastards. Don't eat your Thanksgiving dinner. Don't you dare talk to your family. I want to know every little thing that's going on inside your house. That's the Andrew Cuomo guarantee. And now you can put this little sticker on your window, and he can watch you like you really want him to. Apparently, that's what New York wants. He's still got an approval rating above one for some reason. Back in a second. Glint has made gold a real alternative currency. Glint allows clients to buy, sell, save, and spend in real gold using the Glint MasterCard and Glint app. Uh, Glint card accounts are FDIC-insured up to $250,000, and the gold you own is kept safe and allocated to you in a Brinks vault in Switzerland. Really cool. I mean, you can go into stores and buy things with Gold. This is the MasterCard. You go in there. No one, I mean, look, you can go in there. You can just use this MasterCard like it's normal. Or you can be like, hey, look at me. I'm cool. I'm paying with gold. And people will be like, wow, that guy must be really rich. He's paying with gold. And you say, yes, that's me. GlintPay. I'm paying with gold. GlintPay.com slash Stu. G L I N T P A Y dot com slash Stu. And the slash Stu part of the address is important because that's how they know. You like this stupid show? GlintPay.com slash stew. Avoid all the inflation and all that other craziness with gold. GlintPay.com slash stew. Love getting your reviews. Five stars is the appropriate number of stars if you do it. Uh, Stu and the Doing of America. Words are spoken about words. Incredible. Thirty-seven thousand stars. It's a little too high for the actual total. We'll, we'll we'll shave it down to five freaking stars. Thank you very much. Uh, nearly entertaining. Not only is it great, whatever, it nearly captures my attention for up to an hour some nights. Stu, if that's even his real name, delivers quips quips and logic better than Domino's des- delivers subpar pizza. Thanks, Steve. No no need to. To take on Domino's here. They're good people. Uh, five freaking stars. And they deliver a lot of food to my house almost every day. Five stars, baby. Better than Jeffy. Usually. Whatever. Five freaking stars. Thank you. Capitalism in action. We're both capitalists. You want five stars and I can give them to you. What's it worth? Are you willing to give, five, to give my new podcast five stars in return? Ball is in your court. I did my part. Well, I, I mean, uh, go check out his podcast. Maybe it's worth five stars to you. Five freaking stars. And Nerds Unite. This stupid show gets five freaking stars because that's what's appropriate. It's great. Whatever. There you go. Five freaking stars. By the way, happy birthday to Joseph Robinette, Biden Jr., America's oldest person. It is a senility now T-shirt right now. It's do does merch dot com. Senility now. Ah, ha, ha. Yes. And uh, Joe Biden, happy birthday. Uh, you, yeah, You know, good luck with that.